This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are busting through the tears this week. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio, and joining me as always is Mr. Paul Perkeese. Paul, welcome. Matt, always excited to have you on the other side of me. Tear Busters is going to continue, and tonight we're going to talk about the tight end position, which I think is very intriguing in this year's class, more so than last year, so I'm excited to break it down with you tonight. Well, I mean, you know you know, it in this show specifically, we absolutely uh, really love this position because we think that it's one of the most unique positions on the football field just due to the fact that their responsibilities are just so vast and so widely kind of used on a football team. I mean, the tight end position is just one of those, you know, positions I think on any team where they really have to be the Swiss army knife for their respective team. So Paul, let's get right into it tonight. And before we kind of go any further, give me a thumbnail 30 second to a minute sketch of this class. Do, are we talking the talent level that was reminiscent of the, you know, the OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, David Njoku. Again, talking about those guys, not in, not with reference to their NFL realities, but more towards their college prospects. I mean, that was one of the most decorated classes that we had. Are we are we talking that level of talent in this class? Is it is the hype really that high for this class? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's right up there, and I would say it's. Because Brevin Jordan, I mean, because Brevin Jordan is the third guy, he's the he is not as good as the three in that previous in that other class you talked about, right? Ingram, OJ Howard, and David Njoku. But at the top with with Pitts, he is the best tight end prospect I have ever seen coming out of a, of a draft class since I've been following the draft. He is such a rare elite talent that we loved Evan Ingram uh, on this podcast. We loved OJ Howard. But on the flip side, these guys, you know, they were good. They were in Kyle Pitts level good. Like this is this is like a unicorn at the tight end position in terms of his pass catching acumen and his ability, I think, to impact at the next level. So he is at the tippy top. You know, Pat Fryermuth, I think, is right there on a level, you know, a little bit below like an OJ Howard type in terms of where he tests, where he was in terms of a prospect coming out. So I think it's a great class because of the top. I think, you know, it fades a little bit, but there's some more interesting names, but to me it's, it's top heavy for sure. And then it's a lot of wild cards and intriguing talents after that. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. There's always some tight ends that I think materialize and kind of come out of nowhere and make a name for themselves in the NFL. But the top of this class is what makes it so intriguing. And just how high can Kyle Pitts get, I think is the big question mark because you can make the case he's a, he's a rarer prospect. Than any of the big three elite wide receivers, you know, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, that you can make the case that, you know, and it's not just me, people like Daniel Jeremiah and other people, they have Pitts as one of their top three to five best players in the entire draft because of how special he is. And I think he's so much more rare than we get good wide receivers every year. So that's what makes it such a fun, interesting class because 
Where will he end up? How will the offense use him? Will he end up in the right place? And will they cater to his skill set? And if so, the sky truly is the limit. Well, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, you have heard that term unicorn used widely and vastly to describe Kyle Pitts. And that's a that's a term that I've heard from many, many, many an analyst that I respect. So, I mean, it's absolutely, I think, right up there. So, Paul, as we kind of get into this tonight, let's just quickly review the tiers and the way in which we kind of look at this position in this particular you know episode so a tier one tight end we define here at saturday to sunday as a first or early second round selection at the nfl draft this would be a late one or second round dynasty pick in a rookie draft and these players have the capability to be a complete tight end or create mismatches regularly as a pass catcher a tier two tight end is a mid-round you know, second, third selection. So second, third round selection in the NFL draft. This is a mid round two or round three dynasty rookie pick. If it's a receiving tight end, this particular tight end probably possesses several average to above average traits to contribute immediately to the passing game and be at least adequate as a blocker. Or we might consider this particular player one that displays at least adequate receiving and is a very good to great blocker. So this idea that the tight end position can be really kind of looked at in a variety of ways depending upon the team and the scheme. Great blockers get on the field, so if they're adequate pass catchers, they can be productive. And vice versa, if they're outstanding pass catchers and adequate blockers, they can still see the field early and be very good players for your fantasy team or even for a regular NFL team. So a tier three, a tier three tight end is a round four or five selection in the NFL draft. This is a late round three to round four dynasty rookie pick. This is particularly usually a receiving tight end. They possess several average traits to contribute in the passing game or at least adequate as a blocker or they display at least adequate receiving and above average to good blocking capabilities. Again, referencing the same idea, great receivers and adequate blockers are going to be on the field, right? Outstanding blockers and adequate receivers have a chance to see the field. So we're looking for those, those types of players that can do a little bit of everything tier four and our final tier in this position, particular position is a late round six, seven, probably UDFA selection at the NFL draft. These late round players, these are probably players in your dynasty rookie uh, draft that you're probably putting on your watch list, or you're picking up at the end of the draft for a cheap cost. This is probably a depth player. He possesses probably some average traits that could contribute to a team's passing game or in the blockings uh, or in the blocking capacity for the run game. But this is not a player that you're depending on. And in addition, this particular tier may also hold players that we've had, you know, little exposures to. So we're still waiting for the process to kind of bear itself out with pro days, given the unique circumstances of this year, especially who knows what we're going to learn as time goes on. So, Paul, that was just a quick breakdown of our tiers. So let's just kind of get right into it. Start off. Let's talk. I mean, we know about the unicorn. We know about the unicorn and who that is. Who else? Is there anybody else that kind of warrants that green label in our draft book as being a guy, a tier one selection at tight end? Yeah, I mean, and and this is kind of like the quarterback situation when we did the quarterbacks, right? And I kind of said like Trevor Lawrence and Justin, uh, Trevor Lawrence kind of belongs in his own tier, but the way we have our things set up, it's kind of like, you know, there was four guys in that tier. This is the same thing here at the tight end position. 
I have Kyle Pitts out of Florida, but I also have Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State. But there is a differentiation between them. This isn't like when we did the running back tier. To me, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, I prefer Najee Harris, but they're they're pretty comparable to me in terms of their their overall skill set, in terms of where they should be drafted, different type of players. But here, Kyle Pitts is on his own level. Kyle Pitts is worthy of a top five, top eight pick. While I think Pat Fryermuth is more like a guy who's worthy of a pick maybe in the late first round, like 20 to 32. And he might even come off the board early in round two, but I do think he's a round one caliber player. So, I mean, that's who makes up my tier. I mean, Kyle Pitts, man, he, to me, he reminds me of a more athletic, higher ceiling version of Darren Waller. Like, if he gets up, if he ends up in the right team with the right scheme, who knows how to maximize his skill set, doesn't ask him to do things he shouldn't be doing, I think he's going to make a very impactful early part of his career. Like I think you're going to see him transition much faster than usually most tight ends transition, and I think he has the upside to within two or three years be a Travis Kelsey, George Kittle-like impact in terms of the offense that he is in. That's the kind of ceiling I think he has because we see his athleticism, his body control, his ball skills. You don't see tight ends like this. You don't see tight ends. His ability to win at the catch point, adjust the passes away from his body, contort his body. He really is a unicorn. Unicorn is the way to describe him. Guys his size shouldn't move that they do, shouldn't be as flexible as he is. He's a nightmare, a mismatch nightmare. You want to put a linebacker on him? He's going to be too fast for them. You want to put a safety on him? He's going to be too strong for them, and he's going to and he's going to beat them as well. So I don't know how defenses are going to stop him. They might end up eventually having to put like their best you know cover corner on him, you know, as some teams do with like Travis Kelsey and stuff, you know, because he's going to be a mismatch wherever he's lined up on the football field, and it's going to be fascinating to kind of see how quickly an offense builds their offensive scheme around utilizing and maximizing his skill set. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see just how high he goes in the draft. The, the, does he go to the Giants at 11? Does he go, you know, to the Eagles and they have a dual tight end with him and Dallas Goddard if they move on from Zach Ertz? You know, the Dolphins, you know, there's so many teams who could be in the mix early in this draft for Kyle Pitts, you know, Carolina, like, you know, the list is long and I, I think any team that takes him could use him. No team in the league could say, no, we can't use him because you can do so many different things with him. He could be a wide receiver. He could be a slot receiver. He could be a move tight end. You know, just don't ask him to line up in line and block regularly. If you do that, you're wasting his skill set. And then Pat Fryermuth on the other hand, he's very much like, listen, I, the odds of him having a Rob Gronkowski career are basically close to zero, right? Rob Gronkowski is one of the great tight ends in the history of the NFL. But if you're trying to find a comparison in terms of body type and stylistically, Rob Gronkowski is the comp in terms of that, in terms of an athletic guy, but a guy who's got great size and frame, great ball skills, can attack the seam, can win at the catch point, good length, good catch radius, uses his body well to create space during his routes and at the top of his routes and when fighting for the ball. He's a good athlete for his size. He's not on a level of like Kyle Pitts or anything like that. 
but he, he's got a lot of ball skills and he's a good blocker. So he's a guy who is going to be more of a guy who can play in line and be a guy who regularly lines up, you know, on the line of scrimmage and do more things with. So I'm not saying anybody's going to have him. I think earlier in the year, there was some debate whether or not he might be tight end one to Kyle Pitts. I think Kyle Pitts separated himself just because of how rare he is, but there might be, uh, there might be teams in the NFL that based on what they want their tight end to do, prefer a guy like Friar Mood. So I think he's going to be very popular because of his dual capabilities to be a blocker and a pass catcher. And you can do more while Kyle Pitts, he's, he's the more rare athletic, you know, phenom, but he's going to be a guy that, you know, he's going to be out there catching passes. Like he's not going to be a guy who's doing much besides, you know, our receiving capabilities Two really high level prospects. But Pitts, he's special, and I'm interested to see just how high he can climb the ranks. I, you know, listen, I, I mean, Fryermuth has been a guy that has been standing out. Now, Kyle Pitts is long as well. I mean, these are guys that stood out since high school. Fryermuth more a little bit than Pitts. It's, it's really Pitts that has emerged. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, I find it hard to believe that Pitts isn't going to be one of the most coveted athletes as you've already pointed out in this draft and i and i think a lot of teams are gonna you know pay the capital to go out and do that i mean the way tight ends are now used to your point earlier they're used in such a multitude of ways and this is going back to you know when we had the emergence you know of players like travis kelsey and zach Ertz. it really goes back to that class you know way way long ago um, where those players were being utilized in a variety of ways. And as a result, you know, they, they weren't that draft capital, but Paul, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of more inclined to talk about the next tier. And I know this next tier is rather thin for you. Um, but I'm really excited about this player. And in my opinion, and I know that I deviate from this, he could have easily had been, somewhere in that same tier with those two guys. I don't think he's that far away. Am I out of my mind? No, and you're not. And that's why he's in the tier by himself. There is nobody else in this tier because to me, there is a massive gaping drop after this player. And that's Brevin Jordan out of Miami. And Brevin Jordan is closer to tier one than anybody is in tier three to tier two, if that makes sense for people. So he's in his own tier. He's a, he's a, I think he's a locked day two guy. I think he has a chance to go round two. And for some teams, they might prefer Brevin Jordan over Pat Fryer based on what I was just talking about. Like if you're looking for more of an athletic guy, you know, better speed, you know, a guy who you're not going to ask to block much, then Brevin Jordan, you might like even more than Pat Fryermuth because Brevin Jordan is, is a guy that he's been on the radar for many years. I know Matt, you've been talking about him for years and we're big fans of him here at Saturday to Sunday, the athleticism, the ball skills. He's a guy who I think, I don't even think he's fully reached his upside and potential. And I think, you know, at Miami, they've been a little bit inconsistent in terms of quarterback play, right? They've had some moments of good quarterback play. They've had some other moments. And I think Brevin Jordan kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit of that inconsistency, right? Sometimes he looked like a, a can't miss first round prospect. Other times he looked like a guy who was hovering in that third, fourth round border. But I think he's a day two guy. You know, 
I'm intrigued with what he can offer at the next level. I don't know if he's going to hit the ground running. I think there might be a little bit more of a developmental for him, but you talk about his athleticism, very good to great, his movement skills. You see it in his routes, his ability to attack the seam, and his yak ability after the catch. I like, I think his length and catch radius is above average to good. You know, can good body control, adjust and extends for passes. I think he's got probably only average to above average separation quickness. I think he's got a little bit more route refinement and route development to do. But if he gets that, then we're talking about a guy. And listen, we're still big fans here of Evan Ingram. If he if he refines his route running and expands his route tree, I think he can emerge into an Evan Ingram style player at the next level. I don't think he's going to be a guy just like Evan Ingram and the Giants have wasted too many years. And Evan Ingram's actually held up better than I thought he was in terms of his blocking, which we said he wasn't as bad as some people thought. But the Giants at times just didn't take advantage of the athleticism and the pass catching ability of Evan Ingram. And I hope Revan Jordan ends up somewhere that he doesn't get suckered in too often, like I feel like at times Evan Ingram has. And they haven't found the way to maximize his skill set. Because I think Brevin Jordan, if he could refine his route running and expand his route tree a little bit, has that type of upside and potential to his game. I'm a fan of him. He's got some hands and drop issues I think I'd like to see clean up, but that's not all that different than Evan Ingram also. And some more consistency issues. But like I said, that could be a little bit... uh due to the inconsistent quarterback play. So, Matt, thoughts on Jordan? I know you've been a fan for a long time. Is there anything in there that I didn't talk about that that you kind of want to point out that that has you so intrigued with this prospect as well? No, I mean, I think you paint you painted a very accurate collegiate picture. I think one of the ways he excels is he excels after the catch. He's probably one of the best players in the country after the catch at the position. He has very good field awareness. He has good kind of interspatial kind of relationships between himself, defenders, as well as the sideline, the end zone, as well as the task being the first down marker. He just he kind of knows the situation when the ball is in his hands. He's good with the ball in his hands. He's good after the catch. I think to your point, and I think to a lot of people's critiques, and, and rightfully so, it's not exactly like the film is overflowing with with you know uh, you know with examples of great blocking. But one of the things I liked about Brevin Jordan coming out of high school was the fact that he offered you know a dual capacity threat in terms of being a blocker and being a receiver. You know, I really did like the fact that he was a good inline blocker. And to your point, I don't know if Miami really was ever stable enough to, to, to really use him in that way, because it's really hard to use the kind of dual nature of a player when you're really only good at one thing. So Miami really needed to use him as a pass catcher. So the idea of having him be a decoy in the run game really just never really materialized. And, and I just wonder if I think him going to the next level, I think he's going to take a tremendous step to your point. I do not think his development is done. I do think there's another gear. I heard a comp that I really do like in terms of the arc or the story that may follow Brevin Jordan. I heard Irv Smith jr. I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that story arc. If you're going to tell me, you know, look at Irv Smith Jr. I think we it goes without saying we loved Irv Smith Jr. And and I know people that I respect that a heck of a lot that say when you watch him live, he's one of the best, most skillful movers you'll ever see. 
And it seems like now, only now, beginning to unlock his potential in Minnesota. That might be the type of patience that needs to be exercised with Brevin Jordan. He would be a major target for me if I needed a tight end because I'm not going to be able to get Kyle Pitts. He's going to cost me a top five pick. But if I'm a team that needs a move tight end that I think can develop into a blocker, because I really do think Brevin Jordan can develop into a very good blocker, um, I think he could be a guy that could surprise at the next level in a, in a way that you're like, wow, you know, that's a, that's a solid NFL player. Yeah. I mean, listen, I like that Irv Smith comparison a lot. I think that's a better comparison than, than talking about Evan Ingram uh, in terms of how Irv Smith played in college. I think Irv was maybe a little bit more of a refined route runner than Brevin Jordan is. But like I said, if Brevin can expand on that, his route tree and refine his route running, I think that is a very spot on. And we saw Irv Smith make great strides in year two. And I expect him to continue to make strides. And then once Kyle Rudolph moves on from Minnesota, really, we really get a chance to see Irv Smith, you know, shine and and in a full capacity once he is the lead guy there, you know, full time. So yeah, I'm right there with you. These top three guys, I think are all guys. I think you're going to see all of them gone by the, in the top two rounds. Like I said, Kyle Pitts, I think we'll see in the top 10. I think Pat Fryer moved late first or early second. And then I think Brevin Jordan somewhere in the late second, early third is probably, and who knows once he, once, uh, if Brevin Jordan gets an opportunity to test, you know, and I think he could be a little bit of a mover if you're looking for that. Because like I said, I think there's a colossal drop off. And as we're going to get to the to next year, we'll talk about it. But I think while there's a lot of intriguing guys, I think you don't get one of the top three tight ends. I think it's okay. We could add this guy to the mix and kind of hope. That's what I kind of see after these top three guys where these top three guys, I think you look at them and you think to yourself, okay, these are going to be guys, maybe different levels of talent, but these are guys that we envision long-term starters. Well, and, and I agree. And I now this is where I think we get to an intriguing level. When we get into tier three, there are definitely a group of players here, as to your point earlier, may not challenge these top three. But that doesn't mean that with development and time, one of them or two of them couldn't emerge as being solid players. Like I think of the Dalton Schultzes of the world this year. You know, I think of that because we love Dalton Schultz. Everybody thought we were. I remember when Dalton Schultz was coming out. I was like, I was like Durham Smythe and Dalton Schultz. They'll be great. Watch. And now it didn't exactly materialize that way. But I think that those guys have proven to be very good functional players at the NFL level, specifically Dalton Schultz. Well, I think we have some of those in this tier. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, this tier is really interesting. And like you look at a couple of guys on here and. You know, the, the, the production is, is not going to make you get excited, but you got to dig deeper than that. And it's, it's weird. Two guys in this tier that I'm going to talk about, I'm really intrigued with, but you're not going to find a lot on their college film and you're not going to find a lot in their box scores, but you got to dig deep here. And, and this tier for me has five names in it. I think, I think a couple of these guys could sneak in the back of round three. You know, but I think a lot of these guys are talking about round four guys, maybe some in the early part, full the early part of round five. And we'll see if I think one or two have a shot to sneak into the back of the top 100 and go in the third round. So let me run out the names first. 
versus Tommy Tremble at a Notre Dame. Really athletic kid. This is a guy who tested out fantastic coming out of high school. And he just really has not been asked to do a lot in the passing game at Notre Dame. He turned himself into a really good functional to good blocker, whether it's run game, pass game, but his athleticism, you still see it in bits and pieces. This is a guy who maybe is in that four, six to four, seven type speed with natural athleticism, good size and frame. He's got ball skills. He's got body control. Tommy Tremble is a guy who I think has got the most upside after those top three guys we talked about, because if, if the athleticism and, and natural pass catching skills are finally realized at the NFL level due to opportunity and a team letting him really show that side of his game. He really has developed himself into a very solid blocker. So now you have a guy who is, yeah, I think he's more move tight end detached, but he's a guy who could hold his own in line and he can be a guy who you can use in a variety of ways and be a very versatile piece. He's been a lead fullback in Notre Dame. So like you can do a lot of different things with Tommy Tremble, but I love the athleticism and the natural pass catching skills and the upside that I just think we haven't seen yet in terms of him really uh, showing his full package. So he intrigues me. Hunter Long out of Boston. Can I ask College. you one quick question on yep. Tremble? Is 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 his blocking, do you think, is going to let him see the field early? Do you think he has that type of potential? Well, here's the thing. He's not going to be a guy. You know what I mean? Like, I thought he was a good blocker in college. He he really crafted it, and Notre Dame asked him to do a lot. But 6'4", 248, and we'll see if that weight is legitimate or not. I don't know how often an NFL team is going to ask him to come in. Like he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to come in and say, Oh, in two tight end sets, you're coming in as the blocker or in the jumbo package, you're coming in as the blocker. I just don't know if he as good of a blocker as he is in college. I don't know if a team's going to look at him in that capacity. I think they're going to look at him as a guy who could hold his own blocking and that makes him more valuable. But I think, I think at the next level, he's going to be a guy that a team is going to want to utilize due to his athleticism and his maybe untapped pass catching ability. And the blocking is going to be a, a bonus because you could put him in line and, and do some different things with him. And, and it won't be a guy who is a, you know, really, kind of is like the weakness on there when he, when he's asked to block. I just don't know if he's going to see the field purposely as a blocker. Like I have a hard time thinking that NFL teams don't have somebody else in their tight end depth chart who's just bigger and more comfortable blocking NFL type players, if that makes sense. No, 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 that's perfect. And now getting on to the next guy, you started to mention him before I cut you off, but I, this is a guy that, I would say it would be an understatement if we didn't say that there's been a rise in this player's, uh, you know, kind of notoriety. Yeah, because Hunter Long is is the safe and steady guy. He is a version of Kyle Rudolph, right? We're talking about Irv Smith before. Hunter Long has seen himself rise, very productive player at Boston College, went to the Senior Bowl. All reports were that he was really solid there. 
And he's just one of those guys that is fundamentally sound at everything, right? 6'5", 253, good size and frame, good hands, red zone weapon, shows good, has good length and catch radius, very productive, 57 catches in this year, you know, a shortened COVID type year, 685 yards, five touchdowns on 57 receptions, really good toughness. But his athleticism is average, right? He, you know, he, He's a less athletic version of Hunter Henry, or you could say a more athletic version, but but not as great a blocker of Kyle Rudolph, right? Or somewhere in that middle, you know? So to me, he's a guy who is a very good number two tight end who could develop into a starting tight end on a team that doesn't want their tight end to be like a key focal point in the offense. You know, Kyle Rudolph was never a focal point of an offense for Minnesota, right? He was always option three or option four, sometimes even option five. That's what I think Hunter Long can be. Like at Boston College, he was one of the top options. That's not going to be him. I also think, you know, I mentioned less athletic version of Hunter Henry. I think you could say the same thing about a former teammate of his, Cole Komet. I'm not former teammates, sorry. Uh, we were on Tommy Tremble in Notre Dame. But Cole Komet coming out of Notre Dame, I think had a little bit more athleticism and upside than Hunter Long. And that's why Cole Komet goes round two. I think Hunter Long is late round three or round four. But that's the world he lives in. He doesn't have like this rare calling card, but he's pretty much sound at everything. He can play in line. He could hold the point of attack. So to me, he he's an immediate guy who could be a, a tight end too. And those are very valuable at the next level, right? And then he's got the upside to develop into a starter. So I think I think that's going to intrigue teams. So like he, I think, is the safest guy in the this tier. I think you draft Hunter Long and you're looking at a guy who at worst has a 10-year career in the NFL as a number two tight end and maybe even a chance to be a starting tight end. Any questions yeah. on Long? No, I mean, you know, I, I got, I, I'm getting vibes in my mind. I'm thinking Adam Shaheen type of player, you know, like in, in, you know, in that type of, now Adam Shaheen was way more, you know, I think athletic than, than Hunter Long in some respects, but in, but I also see, th- I'm thinking like that career arc could potentially be where he is. But no, I mean, that's, that's pretty much sums him up nicely. Who else we got in this tier? Next guy up is Kenny uh, uh, Yibo out of Ole Miss. 6'4", 240. A guy, again, only 19 receptions in 2019. This year, 27 receptions. But this is a guy who I like his athleticism and his movement skills. I like his ability to high point, good length, catch radius, body control. You know, listen, he's a little light at 240 for a tight end. You know, his separation quick, especially at the top of his routes, you know, it's probably about average. It doesn't match up with his his linear movement skills and his athleticism and his his speed just to attack the seam. I think he's functional in the blocking game. He could he could, you know, Yeboa, he could hold his own. Uh good play strength, you know. Shows good toughness. His route run is probably average. But to me, he doesn't show a lot in terms of elusiveness or agility in the open field. So to me, he's very he's very linear, straight line type athleticism and speed. He's got some route tree development to do. But I think he's a guy who could attack the seam and he can make plays vertically, you know, in the middle of the football field. And I think he's a guy that could be, again, like I said before, like Tommy Tremble, could be a guy that shows better at the NFL level than he did in college. And there's another guy in this tier I'm going to say the same thing about. Uh, but Kenny Uboa is a guy who I think could be a complimentary pass-catching tight end used in two tight end sets, maybe with the ability to develop into a starter in the future. But I don't think that's why you're drafting him. I think he's going to probably go round four. You're drafting him hoping that he becomes a complimentary pass-catching tight end. I think that's what you're hoping for. Use him in motion, detached, 
as a big slot. You could even use him outside a little bit as a big wide receiver. He's that, he's that, that's the kind of spot you're going to be doing uh, with Kenny Uboa. I, I like his game, but I think there's a lot of rawness to it and he's got a lot of development to do, you know, to really see it. So that's where, that's where I am with him. The next guy really intrigues me. And that's Trey McKitty out of Georgia. Now, Trey McKitty, formerly of Florida State. Now, this past year, you know, McKitty didn't – I think he only had six catches. I'll, I'll, I'll check that in, in a second. But he only had six catches, which, you know, obviously, you know, very – very lackluster performance. I think when he when he transferred to Georgia, I think he was hoping for a little bit more of an opportunity uh, than than he got at Florida State because you know he he was involved at Florida State a little bit more uh, than he was this past year, and I think he went to Georgia kind of hoping to get an opportunity to shine a little bit more. But this is a guy who's got some basketball, I think, in his background, and he he's just a guy that he's got this athleticism about his game. I mean, he's six, five, two He just doesn't have much production. I mean, 29 receptions in the last two years. Like, I mean, that's Trey McKitty. Like, so he's a guy who, you know, I think he's a backup tight end with the upside develop into a number two or a complimentary pass catching tight end. He's got upside. I think he's got enough size. He could hold up in line, but I think he's probably better off not being a regular blocker. I think he's probably average there. You could, you could detach him a little bit, but I think he's got some untapped upside and athleticism shows the ability to high point and adjust. So there's, there's a little bit to like about Trey McKitty and it'd be interesting to kind of see if he gets like round four, round five, type draft stock, I think, you know, he could be a guy that gets a chance to develop down the line. But all these guys we're talking about, Hunter Long is the safe one. The rest of these guys, you're hoping they develop into tight end twos or or complementary pass catching guys. You know, and that's kind of what I think about Trey McKitty as well. And then to round out this tier is is Kyle Granson out of SMU. Now this guy is exclusively a move tight end. This is not a guy who you're going to line up in line in any way. His t- his college height weight was 6'3", 235. So who knows if, if, if he's even less than that. But this is a guy who wins with athleticism, wins with separation quickness, good movement skills. I love him after the catch in, the, in open space. I think he's got good ball skills, production, uh, versatility. He's not going to be a guy that holds up at the point of attack. He's not going to be much of a blocker. The level of competition leaves some concerns. But to me, he's a complementary piece. You can use him as an H-back. You can use him as a move tight end. You can use him as a second tight end who's more of a pass catcher. So I like him in a variety of ways. Put him in motion, detach him. You can put him in the slot. You can even use him at some points as a wide receiver on certain plays. But I think he's a guy who probably goes like round five, and I think if you have a clear role for him, you know, think Dalton Keene from last year, and he kind of surprised and went in the third round to, to New England Patriots. I think that's kind of who Kyle Granson is, that kind of player. So we'll see. There could be a team that takes him higher than maybe, you know, I even have him pegged. We saw Dalton Keene last year, you know, go to in the third, late third round to the New England Patriots. That's the kind of player I think Kyle Granson is. So, I mean, when you look at these first three tiers, I feel like we're talking about that's that might be where it ends if you're in the world of, you know, rookie and dynasty drafts. Is that fair? Do you think anybody in this next tier is going in your dynasty draft? I think in I think in tier four, you, you'd be talking about a couple guys that intrigue me if we're talking about 
two tight end leagues, tight end premium leagues, and more importantly, if they had taxi squats. There's a there's there's a there's probably one or two guys in tier four that intrigue me a little bit in terms of their their pass catching possibilities. So I'll, I'll run off these names and then I'm only gonna I'm only gonna hit on a couple guys here because this this, sure. is, this is a pretty extensive tier. We have Pro Wells out of TCU. We have Tony Polgin out of Virginia. We have uh, Nick Eubanks out of Michigan. We have Quinton Morris out of Bowling Green. Matt Bushman out of BYU. Luke Farrell out of Ohio State, Noah Gray out of Duke, John Bates out of Boise State, Ben Mason out of Michigan, and Nick Muse out of South Carolina. There's a lot of guys in this tier who are going to be blocking type tight ends at the next level. Number three type blocking tight ends, or some of these guys might be fullbacks, like a Ben Mason out of Michigan. You know, John Bates, I think, is a really good blocker, but, you know, average. He's not going to do much in terms of separation quickness and route running. He's got fine hands. Guys like that, Nick Muse, Noah Gray, came into the year highly thought of, but, you know, didn't materialize. Luke Farrell out of Ohio State, much more of just the blocking type. Those are, those are the one, two, those are the five guys at the bottom of this tier. So I think you're talking about they're going to make it in the NFL due to their blocking capabilities. I don't think any of those guys are going to materialize and even be on the radar for fantasy because they're just not going to be guys that are ever going to get an opportunity to be pass catchers, I think, with any type of consistency at the next level. But at the top of this tier, there's a couple guys that intrigue me. Pro Wells at a TCU is a guy that I just had a chance to watch and add to the notebook today. And he's a guy that he does have some production, not a lot, but he's got eight touchdowns in the in the last two years. That's a lot for a college tight end. Now, he had 17 receptions last year, 13 this year. Didn't even get to 200 yards total for the year. But he's 6'4", 250. He's got good size. He's got good frame. He's an athletic guy. He's got some good movement skills. He's got red zone production. His ball skills I like. His body control. He wins contested catches. Shows the ability to high point. His blocking is probably only functional for a guy 250. You would kind of like it to be a little bit better. And at times, I start inconsistent physicality at his size. Play up to your size. That would be the one thing. If I, could, if I can get in this guy's ear, be like, you played it at size that you are. You have this size. Use it to your advantage and, and show, show that you can use it as a blocker too. Because if you did that, we're probably be talking about a guy who would be in the next tier. And this is the guy who, if I was going to pick one guy who could jump the tier and I don't think he'll jump into the fourth round mix, but maybe sneak in the fifth round. I think a team could be intrigued by this guy because he's got that red zone prowess. He's got some ball skills. He's got the body control and he's got decent, he's got good athleticism. So he intrigues me a little bit. I think he's a depth tight end, but he's got some upside develop into a complimentary pass catching tight end and maybe red zone type weapon. Uh, so he's the guy that intrigues me the most, but it's not just him. Tony Paljan out of Virginia. This is a guy who's like an offensive tackle. He's six foot seven. So this is a guy with rare, rare, rare size and frame. Six seven, two sixty five. Productive college player. Four hundred eleven yards this year. Four ninety six previous year. Ten total touchdowns the last two year. But unlike the the last couple guys I talked about. His athleticism is a concern, developmental area, weakness, wherever you want to put it. He's not going to do much after the catch. His route running and route development need work. He's not going to separate at the top of his routes. But what he has is rare size and frame, a good length and catch radius. He knows how to use his body well at the catch point to create space. He shows the ability to extend and catch passes away from his body or high point to football. And he's a good blocker. 
So this is a guy you talked about before you asked me, could Tommy Tremble's blocking immediately get him on the football field? And I said, no. Tony Paljan, yeah, I think his blocking can get him on the football field. So this is a guy who might go round five or round six, but a team might immediately be comfortable putting him on the football field in two tight end or three tight end sets because of his blocking ability. And he's got some, he's got some pass catching ability as he's shown at Virginia the last couple of years. He just lacks that athleticism to, to really get excited about in terms of a fantasy capacity, right? He's got ball skills and production, but he doesn't really have that athleticism. I think that you, you get excited for. So he's, he's in this, uh, Nick Eubanks out of Michigan. He's a guy who, I kind of wanted to see more from him at his time at, at Michigan. He showed glimpses of another guy, athletic, good size, ball skills, can attack the seam. He just needs to he needs he needs to show more consistency. At times you watch him play and you think this guy's a day two tight end. And then at other times you watch him play and, and he's a UDFA. So I think Eubanks is a guy who's gonna be around five, round six guy, probably, maybe more probably around six. Uh, got some pass catching skills, got some athleticism, and never really put it all together. Uh, Matt Bushman, very solid guy at a BYU, but he's another guy lacks the athleticism and separation quickness. I think to be a major factor at the next level, not as good of a blocker as as, as Tony Pollard out of Virginia, who I just talked about, but a guy Matt Bushman who's been a very productive receiver for many years uh, at BYU that he can have maybe develop into a complementary pass catching, you know, backup tight end. I think that's kind of the world that he would be living in. And then the guy I most recently watched, and this guy's got some intrigue to him. If I need a, if I'm looking for an athletic move tight end in the late in the draft, I think Quinton Morris out of Bowling Green is the guy that I'm going to go invest in in round six or or round seven if he's sitting there. Quinton Morris. So this is a name that you know has not been talked about at all here at Saturday to Sunday. And I watched him in, in 2019. He had 55 catches for 649 yards and four touchdowns. This year, 20 catches, 248 yards in the shortened season. He's only six two, but he's two fifty. If that if that weight holds, so he's a he's a rocked up two fifty. You know, for a guy who's only six foot two. So I like his frame. I like his athleticism. I think he's got fluid movement skills. I like his I like his straight line speed. He's got some yak ability to make people miss and pick up yards after the catch. I really like him on like drags and crossers. He shows the ability to attack the seam, but I really like him on the drags and crossers. Get him the ball quickly. He takes a good angle. He can do some work after the catch. I like his body control and ability to adjust. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to put his foot in the ground because he is 250. He's not going to be like really quick in terms of his cuts to make people miss, but he's got some agility and elusiveness in the open field. I think his yak ability is more straight line speed than it is the agility to make people miss and stuff like that he shows good effort blocking and he's got good play strength physicality and toughness obviously the level of competition is a little bit concerning he's got to improve some blocking techniques you know route running and route refinement he just didn't need to do a lot of you know he didn't need a lot of refinement to be a weapon at bowling green right his natural athleticism kind of was enough to get by so there's definitely some some there and you know at 62 he doesn't have the ideal length and catch radius that you would look for for you know a pass catching weapon but i think as a move tight end he he offers some intrigue to be adept to complementary pass catching tight end as a flex or move tight end so he's a guy late in the draft that I'd be intrigued with. To me, if he went to, if there was a regular combine, 
he could have been a guy that maybe was kind of intriguing watching him run his 40, watching him run the gauntlet. I think he could have been a guy that, you know, generated a little buzz coming out of the combine, whether that would have been meant anything or not. I think he could have been a guy that people were like, Oh, I didn't know who this guy was. I want to go watch some film on him because he kind of, he kind of surprised me if there was, he would have been a guy that I think would have surprised a little bit at the combine, uh, you know, as a low, as a guy from a lower level school at Bowling Green, you know, he would have been that guy that I think would have sent people to to go find some tape on him. So he intrigues me a little bit from this tier. I would say the guys that intrigue me the most for fantasy would be Pro Wells at a TCU and then Quinton Morris at a Bowling Green. Because if things were to ever break their way, they could maybe materialize. There's some natural pass catching skills there. There's some athleticism there that I could see them emerging. Uh, you know, but again, Wells and Mars are not all that different than the Kenny Eboas and the Trey McKitties of the world, right? And and Tommy Trembles. There's different levels of of upside. I think those guys in Tremble, Eboa, and McKitty have more upside, but Pro Wells and Quinton Morris are in the next tier and they offer their own uniqueness and upside as well. So I mean I mean, that was an outstanding breakdown for all those guys. And and I think that this kind of brings us to the point in the show as we kind of begin to wrap things up. I wanted to talk a little bit about really we talked about at the beginning and you kind of alluded to it as you were going through through these guys in depth. This class does offer different options for your team, for your fantasy team. It just comes to it's going to come down to what you're willing to pay. So my my question is, is that with regards to a player like Kyle Pitts, knowing how much of a unicorn he is, I mean, is this a player? Because, I mean, I, I've been on record many times thinking that, you know, when we talk about dynasty teams and we talk about building around positions, we know that building around the running back or the wide receiver position is is a great move. But we always talk about those pesky positions like the quarterback position and the tight end positions, those positions that you never really seem to be able to fill with the elite of the elite. And that sometimes is what derails you in terms of getting that chip that you want each year. So my question to you is, is this the opportunity to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, as the cliche goes, where you may trade one of your top wide receivers or top running backs on your respective fantasy team to go up and get a Kyle Pitts? Is this that year that you would do it? Would you see the value in going and get Kyle Pitts because he might literally be like an infomercial from the 90s, set it and forget it? I mean, is that really the type of value that we can almost in some ways begin to position ourselves to maybe obtain this year? Would you feel that confident about going up and grabbing him? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think in two tight end leagues or tight end premium leagues, if Kyle Pitts goes first in rookie drafts, I don't think it's crazy. And I think you really do have to look at this with the advantage. Think about right now. If if we can rewind, and I don't know how many years Travis Kelsey has played in the league. I'm going to guess and say it's seven or eight, give or take. All right, I think he's right think around 2014, 30. right? You know, I think, like he's, I think he's 2014 is rookie year. I hold think on, we're going to yeah, do this live. Yeah, we get, we're going to look at that. Right I got this. Wait, hold on. I got that. Don't worry about it. You got to hold on. <laughs> what was Travis Kelsey's rookie year? See that? That's the magic of technology right there. Yeah, and and Siri sounded perfect in her in her explanation right there. Yes, thank you. Know, you. Like, she might be she might be the third co-host soon. Yeah. We can ask her questions and put, yeah. the, put the phone up to the mic. I mean, yeah. that was as clear as possible right there. She was unfazed, so, unfazed by the moment. 
you know, and listen, and he didn't, he didn't do anything his rookie year. And then he exploded on 2014. And ever since then, he's been an elite, elite fantasy producer. So 2014, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, right? So that's seven years. He has been an elite, elite player in terms of fantasy football. Over those seven years, you can make the case no one has been more valuable in fantasy football over the last seven years than Travis Kelsey. At the position that he the the positional scarcity of tight end. So if you think that Kyle Pitts is a is going to be a Travis Kelsey like player, maybe it takes him one year to really be a, a, an elite guy. But if you think that's where he's going. You can make the case even in non-tight end premium drafts and non-two tight end drafts that he should be considered at the top of the rookie draft because there are always receivers every single year that are really good. Sure, maybe one won't be as good as Jamar Chase next year, but maybe there are. There's some really good ones. And there's other guys who come in year after year that are comparable to the Jalen Waddles and the Javon and the Devonta Smiths of the world that are really good. And there's good running backs every single year, right? Last year we had Jonathan Taylor and, and JK Dobbins. And this year we have Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. And in a couple of years we'll have B. John Robinson and, and Tank Bigsby and, and, you know, the Jerry Neely's of the world. And next year it'll be Brees Hall. Like there's always good running backs. There's not Kyle Pitts's on a regular basis. Now maybe we get lucky and, sooner rather than later, we get another guy that we've talked about here in Ray Gilbert. He's coming. I was just two of them. But but I mean, okay, maybe we get lucky and we get two unicorns in the next couple years, but that's rare. So what I, so what I'm saying is I don't know how high the ceiling is. He maybe should be going wherever he's going in like mock rookie dress right now. My guess is it's not high enough because I think you take all the tight end stuff out of it. Oh, they take time. I don't think you could compare him. He's the he's a unicorn. I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a tight end one this year. This year, I think he's going to be a tight end one for fantasy. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be a top 5 tight end, but if you're telling me, look look at the guys, look at the stats and look at the guys in production who were tight end 10 to tight end 12 this year in fantasy football. I think Kyle Pitts can do that as a rookie. And then I think you're talking by year two, you could see him make the jump into top five. And then after that, Travis Kelsey's a couple years older. George Kittle's a couple years older. I think you could see Kyle Pitts quickly emerge into the elite of the tight end position. And if you think that's where this is going within two or three years, then I'm not sure, I'm not sure anyone should be taking over him. We see how short running backs' lifespans are at the next level. If you think this guy's the next Travis Kelsey and you're going to get seven to ten years out of him, isn't that more valuable than Najee Harris giving you maybe five good years? And then you have to start having some concerns about you know what happens as he gets to 26 or 27 because that's kind of the world we live in now with running backs, as crazy as it is. So listen, I, a lot of it will be made up in terms of your team and stuff like that, but I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy if he goes ahead of any of those running backs. I don't think it's crazy if he goes ahead of any of the top three wide receivers. I think you're talking about the top three wide receivers, the top two running backs, and Kyle Pitts. Those are the top six quarterbacks. Uh, sorry, those are the top six non-quarterbacks that to me 
I don't even know if I don't even know if landing spot should change the order in which they come off rookie drafts. I think those guys should be the first six picks off of rookie drafts in non super flex leagues, and then you start fitting in there Trevor Lawrence very quickly, maybe even in that mix, even if it's not super flex based on his rare potential and Justin Fields not too far behind. But to me, those are the top six guys, non-quarterbacks, that should come off the board. And I think you can make a strong case that Kyle Pitts maybe should go even ahead of everybody based on the positional scarcity, based on how much of an advantage you get if you have that elite level tight end. Well, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. This was all setting it up for me just coming up and following up and saying, I think you should go number one in drafts. If I had the first pick in a rookie draft this year, I would take Kyle Pitts. And, and, and I mean that. And the only thing that would prevent me from doing that is if I was starting Derek Carr right now. I mean, if, I'm, if that was my quarterback, then I'm probably maybe considering Trevor Lawrence. Other than that, other than that, I think the differential in long-term viability, like you said, long-term viability as an asset for your team, quarterback, tight end, there's just few and far between that are going to be locked in top five guys. Wide receivers, you can win a championship if you have a good bunch of number wide receiver twos and you have you know one RB1 and then... If your quarterback and your tight ends are elite, you can win a championship with that. I think there's a lot to lose by not taking Kyle Pitts potentially at the top of this draft if you're in a dynasty league and he's available. If you're in a Devi league, probably gone already, in which case you're drafting a Reek Gilbert, just letting everybody know that's who <laughs> we were talking about. And if you haven't done that yet, go and scoop him up. Go and scoop him up and go scoop up Michael Mayer because that's the other guy I'm talking about. Him and Michael Mayer are two guys that those are the guys that you go get if, if if Pitts is already taken. But I think you take Pitts this year, and I don't think you turn back. In fact, I would go as far as to say if you're somebody that's sitting on like a James Robinson right now, you know what? Package James Robinson up and go get Kyle Pitts. You know, go take James Robinson, package him up, go get Kyle Pitts. If you're sitting on a player right now like um, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Package Clyde Edwards or layer up, go get Kyle Pitts. And I'm I mean that. I am dead serious on that. You cannot equate the advantage that a tight end can give you when they're elite. It just puts you in a different stratosphere. It really does. And for those of you who've been playing fantasy a long time, you know it's one of those positions that's just incredibly hard and frustrating to fill. How nice is it if you own Travis Kelsey in your league this year? How nice was it to not have to worry about filling that void? There's there's no equivalent for it. There's just no equivalent for it. Yeah, hey, listen – I'm I'm right there with you, and listen, and and Pat Fryermuth is going to be a guy who's going to go in round two of rookie. Same draft. with Brevin Jordan; he's the other guy. I would yeah, say. I mean, Pat Pat Fryermuth's going to go in round two, and Brevin Jordan. Listen, this is such a deep class. I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy that Irv Smith could. Uh, Irv Smith. I don't think it's crazy <laughs> that Brevin Jordan could fall to the early part of of round three of rookie drafts. I don't think it's crazy. You start you start looking at these wide receivers. You start thinking to yourself, okay, what if the top four quarterbacks go in the first two rounds of rookie drafts? And then, especially if it's two quarterback or super flex. And then you you look at the running backs and you know you're going to have five to six running backs who are in the mix 
in the first two rounds of rookie drafts. So right there, even if you say six guys, one guy maybe we're not thinking of ends up in the perfect landing spot, right? That's 10 guys. Well, then you talk about this wide receiver class that goes, you know, 15 deep who are probably going to go in the top 100 picks. You add them to the, the, the 10 that we just talked about in terms of running backs and quarterbacks. We're at 25. Kyle Pitts, 26, Pat Fryermuth, 27, Brevin Jordan, 28. So I think you're talking about a legitimate chance that Brevin Jordan is sitting there definitely late round two or rookie drafts, maybe even in the early to mid part of round three as a steal. And then Pat Fryermuth, I think because of how good this class is, is going to fall and he's going to be a guy like a couple of years ago, TJ Hawkinson was going clearly in, and Noah Fant were going clearly in round one of rookie drafts, right? Now it was a different, it was a different year. There wasn't as many top level players as this year, but, but TJ Hawkinson and, and uh, Noah Fant were going in the first round of rookie drafts. And now I think you can make the case that Fryermuth is, is at least comparable. I think Fryermuth yeah. and Hawkinson are very comparable in terms yes. of what they could be in terms of their NFL potential. So you're talking about Fryermuth might not go anywhere near where Noah Fant and, and Hawkinson went. He could, those guys went in the eight to 12 range. I think Fryermuth might be more in the 14 to 20 range. So there, there's going to be some value to be had. And to be honest with you, it could start right at the top of Kyle Pitts. Because if he doesn't go in the top four or five picks and you're lucky enough to snag him in the six to 10 range or the eight to 12 range, he's coming at tremendous value. And then if that happens, you know, Friar Moot's going the back half around two. That's good value. And then Brevin Jordan might go the middle of the back end around the three. They could all three of those guys could be tremendous value based on how things break potentially this year. After that, you're picking diamonds in the rough. You're you're stashing guys like Tommy Tremble, you know, you know Kenny Eboa, guys like that. You're stashing them, you know, their their fourth, fifth round picks, taxi squad guys, wait and see guys. Unless somebody emerges, you know, unless Tommy Tremble, you know, has his pro day, blows it up, goes in the second round, the early part of round three. Well, then you're talking a different story. He's got that dress. You know, he's got that draft compensation kind of attached to him, and, and we know that matters, right? You know, draft pedigree definitely matters. But right now, it's the top three guys and then a bunch of guys that you're going to stash later in your rookie drafts or, you know, pick them up and, and put them on taxi squads and stuff like that. You know, no matter what we plan in terms of time, we never actually meet that goal. We always say <laughs> 35 minutes. There's no way 35 minutes is going to be 35-minute conversation. But I think that's a testament, Paul – to just how passionate we are about what we're talking about and just how rich of a topic this is. I mean, there's so many tentacles to the discussion of each of these positions. It really is hard to kind of fit it all into a, a, a half an hour. It really is challenging. There's just so many different discussion points. And I think if you had a chance to listen to this episode, I hope you enjoyed everything that we laid out in front of you. If this, if this content, if this discussion is something that you like, then please head over to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast website and please go and check out our scouting notebooks, our 2020 scouting notebooks this year. We have everything that you need to really get an edge on your you know, competition in your league from our scouting notebook, which is over 100 players deep in terms of the different skill positions that we cover. In addition to that, we also have our rankings notebook, which has rankings for Devi, Dynasty, 
the current tiers that we're talking about in this tier busters episode for our tight ends, as well as the, all the other positions that we've discussed so far. And also coming soon as we prepare for the draft, it is probably one of the best documents you can have to watch the draft on draft night. And that is our actual, I guess the best way to describe it, it's our TV guide, our our draft projections notebook, the best companion guide for watching the draft. It has everything from a little snapshot of the player's strengths and weaknesses to what their actual height, weight, and optional different positional fits that they might have at the next level. It is really, really, really outstanding. And I know it's a labor of love for Paul and it's absolutely one of the best documents that you could get when it comes to the draft. I mean, if this is, if this is what you enjoy, if you really understand what it's like to try to say, it's going to be a 35 minute conversation. And you know, just like us, that that just ain't happening when you love what you're talking about, then I'm sure you can understand what that means. Buying those notebooks, they're $9.99. It's the best way to support the show. All the proceeds go right back into the show to make it run and to make sure that we have what we need to keep this podcast going. So, Paul, any final thoughts on this tight end class as we begin to kind of wrap it up? No, nothing really in the tight end class, but I, I will just kind of piggyback on the notebooks, the premium notebooks. And and the scouting notebook has been updated a lot recently. I have, I think I'm almost finally closing in on being done. I have maybe three or four wide receivers that I'm hoping within the next couple of days to put the finishing touches on them. And then there'll still be, there'll still be updates to it. I don't think, it, I think at that point I would probably have gotten to everybody that I feel needs to have a full deep dive written up on guys that I legitimately think I, I like to always feel like anybody who legitimately could be a top four round uh, player from the skill positions and maybe even, and hopefully even maybe top five rounds. I like to have them in the notebook, you know? So, so I've been working hard just today alone I added at the tight end position a bunch of the guys we talked about today. I wrote up Trey McKitty today. His full profile is in the notebook. I wrote up Pro Wells at a TCU. I wrote up Quinton Morris. I wrote up Tony Paljan at a Virginia. All of those guys were in it because I watched them. And I was like, you know what? These guys could kind of sneak into the fifth round. I kind of want them in the notebook if they're guys that could potentially be in round five, especially the athletic ones who could make an impact in fantasy. You know, so so we're talking about we have now hit the hundred, the hundred profiles mark if you take the guys who didn't declare and add them to the guys who did declare there's well over 100 names now in this split up by guys who were in the class and who were draft eligible but did not declare so a few more wide receivers but it really is uh so much information in that scouting notebook, strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, how they win, NFL fit, NFL role, scheme fit, fantasy spin. And then you get that updated throughout the rest of the draft season. You get the rankings notebook with all our different rankings. It has my tiers when they've been updated. I've been updating them daily and it has the date up top uh, for my tiers, for my draft rankings. Uh, it'll have my dynasty rookie rankings. And then as Matt mentioned before, the draft projections notebook will come out early uh, to mid April. And this year, maybe more than ever, it's going to be the perfect complement with, with so little and unknown in the pre-draft months compared to a normal year. I think it is a great resource for anybody who enjoys the draft 
uh, and wants something easy to digest and read when a guy gets picked uh, without needing to really dig through very easy, you know, on the Google platform, you know, can open it anywhere, phone, iPad, uh, you know, laptop, you know, any, any type of place where you can access, you know, Google stuff, uh, you can open up these notebooks. So please consider purchasing it. Paul, that is outstanding. And for everybody out there, again, we hope you enjoyed this, this kind of tear buster episode, you know, on the tight end position. And again, if you love what we're doing, please remember to download, subscribe, hit that favorite button, and please like what we're doing. It really does help us out a long way. So on behalf of myself, David Nakano, our sound and tech engineer, as well as Paul, we want to thank you for spending this time with us. And please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.